welcome to Thrive in Design, a podcast about making money in beautiful interiors as it relates to product-based businesses in the interior design industry. Each week, we'll discuss innovative strategies on how to approach product development and design sales in a shifting market. I'm your host, Nicole Lachey-Ben. I'm thrilled to be a brand ambassador for Hero Flooring. Hero Flooring was founded in 2014 with a clear focus on creating the ultimate client experience. Hero Flooring is a national brand of high-performance floor coverings, which includes carpet tile, Hero rubber and Nike grind tiles, LVT, engineered wood, and turf. For more information about Hero Flooring, head to heroflooring.com and tell them Nicole from Thriving Design sent you. Now, let's get back into this insightful episode. Welcome back for another episode of the Thrive and Design podcast. Today, we have a wonderful guest to continue on with this theme of what we're talking about outdoors in the design industry. So our guest is Steve Griggs of Steve Griggs Design. Steve's accolades extend beyond his design prowess. He is a two-time recipient of the Inc. 5000 Award, a testament to the rapid growth and impact of his business. Steve's journey is a testament to his passion and dedication. He started with a wheelbarrow, working tirelessly to build his business from the ground up. Today, he's the go-to expert for landscape design, swimming pools, and outdoor entertaining spaces. One of Steve's remarkable qualities is his approach to design. He doesn't impose cookie-cutter designs. Instead, he collaborates closely with clients to understand their unique vision. His work extends beyond traditional landscapes, to reinventing and renovating urban spaces, as well as designing luxury homes and communities. As a best-selling author of Straight Dirt, New York City's premier designer tells it like it is, Steve shares insider secrets on working effectively with landscape designers and contractors. His no-nonsense approach ensures clients get the results that go beyond their expectations. Steve's been recognized by numerous media outlets, including Forbes, Business Insider, and The Wall Street Journal. He's also made TV appearances on Bravo's Backyard Envy, The La La Land Coach, and Grant Cardone's Power Players. Steve was also featured in New Jersey Digest, where his innovative designs inspired homeowners throughout the tri-state area. I am so excited to dive into this wonderful conversation with you, Steve. Welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Glad to be here. Yes. So let's get into your journey. I always like to start my podcast off with learning a little bit more about my guests and so that the audience can understand like where it all started. So can you share with us the journey of how you have become New York's premier landscape designer and what sparked your passion for transforming outdoor spaces? So uh, anyways, I won't get into the long version. It's basically I was taking a high school aptitude test and we checked the boxes. What do you like to do? So check the boxes, be creative, be outdoors. And I ended up going to landscape design school. Went to Cobleskill, New York, upstate New York, and I transferred to Mississippi State. Long and short of it, here I am. 40 years later, 40, man. 40. Wow. And so let's take it back to that test. Like, what are some of the things that was asking you in order for it to, like, kick out a recommendation that you needed to be in landscape? Or just like... um. Oh, do you like working outside? You you know, I was like, well, I definitely don't want to be in an office. So I scratch that off. Creative. Yeah, check the box for creative. I like doing stuff, but I'm not a sit behind the desk numbers guy. So it, all the numbers just checked. And besides that, it was almost May and I had to find something to do. 
I had to register for the fall semester. So that was it. Well, clearly you liked it and it worked out for you. <laughs> I feel like everybody needs a test like that to really guide their paths. I know for me, I had so many interests in high school with like interior design and dance and art and business. And I was really good at math. So I hope more people can get a test like that to have a guided path to their success. Something, yeah. So you've been featured on Bravo's Backyard Envy and other notable platforms as well. How has being in the public eye influenced your approach to design and the projects you take on? So the Backyard Envy show is done by the Manscapers out of Brooklyn, Mel Garrett and James. We had a lot of fun on the show where they would, you know, come onto the set. We would install the job and they would cut it up into this and then put it on reality TV. The exposure is good, not as good as theirs. But, you know, people like to see people that have credibility, right? I think it just raises credibility. That's really all it does. You know, you're not going to walk down the street and sign autographs, but it raises your credibility that if somebody's going to spend two or $300,000 on a backyard, they want to hire the guy that has the credentials, period. Yeah. Well, you know, what's interesting about that is like, there's two sides of being on a reality design show is like one, the credential side, and then two, they're cutting up the design process or the installation process into these little bits where I feel like homeowners might think like, oh, in one episode in 30 minutes, <laughs> it can happen in the blink of an eye. So walk me through like what your design process looks like and how that's different from what someone might see on television. So for on the TV show, real quick, it was just they would show up, the host would, you know, cut a couple pieces of wood, put some stuff together, they would leave, and they would tell our crew, because we were the contractors of the job, say, okay, we'll be back tomorrow morning for the reveal, right? The clients are going to come out, and it's all iced tea and hunky-dory, and we would work nonstop to get it done. You know, it's not what it looks like on TV. They make it look effortless, but it's a lot of work. So getting out of that, going into more of my design process with my own clients, it's basically a journey. It's like, I'm basically just their guy, right? Because they come to me, especially after COVID, they moved out of Manhattan and they bought these houses up in the suburbs and they don't even, they never seen grass before. <laughs> so I just try to help them along the process. That's really what I do. That's kind of the design process. They'll show me some stuff and then we kind of just walk them along. Okay. And so for somebody who's just like coming out of New York City, I know you said they've never seen grass before. Maybe they've been to Central Park, Steve. <laughs> or maybe they haven't owned their own backyard. What are some of the things that you have to like get them to understand in that design process? I mean, honestly, like if you live in Manhattan, you call if you something goes wrong with your apartment, you call the super. He gets up and fix it. Now you don't call the super. You have to try to get a contractor to come to the house. And you don't want to be ripped off. And like people are just afraid of getting ripped off. And like everybody has a different story and like it, it becomes crazy. I just try to tell them to try to get your ducks in a row and try to get a good design. Because with a good design, you can compare apples to apples. Otherwise, you're going to get numbers that are all over the place. It's going to be very overwhelming. Got it. And I feel like that's true for a lot of different parts of design, whether that's interiors, the architecture, landscape, architecture, all the things. So elevating outdoor living spaces to artful masterpieces is something that is a fascinating topic. So what key principles do you believe contribute to turning ordinary spaces into extraordinary works of art, especially when it comes to outdoor design? Oh, so one of the 
biggest things I would say is that you see a lot of these online designers, nothing against them though, and designed by Zoom or something. But I think you really lose the importance of actually boots on the ground and walking the job site, right? So for me, I need to really walk the site because I may see, I may see a rock outcrop, right? I may see rock. I said, you know what? That's a beautiful nature put the rock here. Let's leave that rocket. Let's clean it up and let's put some low landscape lighting on it to create a focal point, right? So you want to use different elements of the site, the different elevations and different views and vistas. You lose that interaction as opposed to like on a Zoom, as opposed to walking to the ground. So you try to draw inspiration from the job site, from the canvas itself. Yeah. And so as you're walking around, is there any specific way that you like take note of what you're seeing? Do you take pictures? Do you write notes? Do you instantly sketch your out your ideas? What does that look like? In uh, typically, honestly, like it sounds a little cliche, but it, it comes to me like in the shower. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like it, I, I don't know. Like oh, what's so funny too is like I'm walking around and they're asking me, "Well, what do you think? What do you think?" And I let them know. I said, "Like I have to let it marinate." Yeah, I get that. Yeah, I, I can't. Do me a favor and then leave me alone for like an hour. Like I can't have you in my ear. Nothing personal. But I need to like just, you know, take it in, right? That really helps a lot. I usually go back there on my own where it's quiet, take some notes, but I can't do it while you're following me around. I completely get that. And I feel like more people need to understand that process for like the expert in whatever situation. (laughs) So like I can totally relate to that. So sometimes I'll be working with interior product companies and we're in an initial consultation and I'm like asking them questions, what are their struggles, what are their pain points and everything like that. And then they immediately want a solution. I'm like, I needed to marinate in my mind. <laughs> and like you said, like take a shower, go take some piece of quiet. And then I can come back to you with the project proposal of what we're going to do moving forward. So I totally get that, Steve. And, you know, I kind of play with it too. You know, by the time I get there, I'm from New York, so we can't give it straight up. And they're asking me and I say, I don't know. And they come to me tonight. It may come to me tomorrow. I may get a vision from up above. I don't know. I'll let you know. <laughs> I get it. Yeah. But yeah, let it marinate. That's going to be one of the quotes from this episode because I totally get that. <laughs> so collaboration is something that came up in what you just said, especially with that Backyard Envy TV show. But that's a recurring theme in your work. So how do you approach collaboration in your design process and how does it play a role in creating something that is really unique in the outdoor space. Yeah. So, you know, I, I don't know everything. Again, I've been doing this a long time, but it doesn't matter. So like when we collaborate, I collaborate with the homeowner. I get their vision. I get their thing. I'm just like basically the orchestrator of the whole thing because I basically tell them, listen, I, I can design you whatever you want. I'm not going to force it on you. You have to, I design it for you because you're going to be here long after I'm gone and enjoy it. So we want to design something that fits your lifestyle, your uniqueness. And we just pull from like different, you know, professionals in the business. Hey, the pool guy may know something that I don't know. I may pull it from the the outdoor lighting guy that I may know. Basically, it all channels through me and then I can distribute that information through design to the client. This way, they're not being bombarded with different people asking different questions. That causes a lot of confusion on a job site. Yeah. And have you ever run into a client like giving pushback to hiring you? So like, say they come to you, hey, I need some landscape design. And then you're like, well, yes, I'm the creative, I'm the visionary and the orchestrator of all these people. Then they're like, wait, let me just go try to do this myself and then try to 
I guess, be their own landscape designer? Does that ever happen to you? All the time. <laughs> really? Oh, no. The best is when they're like doctor, attorney, financial guys. Like, yeah. You know, they seem to like have a little more of a know-it-all kind of thing. And I just tell them to have at it. Like, I've been doing this for a long time. Like, I don't try to like, you know, diagnose my own illness, right? Like, you need to stay in your lane, you know, stay in your lane. Gotcha. And then you just focus on the clients that see your value and understand how important your process is. I love that. Yeah, a little more direct in that, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, I made it sound a little softer. <laughs> like, like, I wouldn't be here if you can do it yourself. So <laughs> Exactly. I got it. All right. So with decades of experience, you've been doing this for 40 years, and you've likely seen trends come and go in the industry. So what timeless elements do you incorporate in your designs and how do you balance the current in exploring different classical features? I mean, so stone is always classic, like bluestone, limestone is classic. You know, lately over the last 20 years, they use, you know, concrete pavers that look like stone. Timeless stuff is always bluestone. Every design has to have fire and water. I, I don't know, whatever, whatever it is, fire and water. Excuse me. Fire pit. Bubbling over earth creates movement. It creates focal point. Like it gives you something to talk about. No sense having a backyard, which is nothing but a little fire and water. I like that on every design for sure. Right. Love it. And I'm sure you've worked on many projects throughout the years. Do you even know how many projects? Do you keep track of how many projects you've worked on over your 40 year career? Well, that's funny because somebody, we were supposed to put that on the website, but I just did the math. Like, <laughs> So they say you're an expert 2,000 hours a year, right? Whatever that takes 10,000 hours to be an expert. Right. Four years, I don't even know. <laughs> thousand hours a year, that's 80,000 hours, right? I've probably installed millions of square foot of pavers, hundreds of thousands of plants. Like you don't even know, like you figure like 100 projects a year, let's say, times 40 years. That's, I don't even know, thousands. Thousand, 4,000. A lot. Oh my gosh. All right. So let's say there's 4,000 projects or more that you've done in your entire career. Is there a most memorable project that posed unique challenges and how did you overcome them? What lessons did you learn? Wow. So yeah, like building a swimming pool on top of a mountain, that's a challenge, right? You have to hammer the rock and build a roadway up there, right? That's a challenge. Another challenge is two years ago, we had an eight foot wall collapse. Okay. Brand new wall collapsed, filled this pool with mud, filled this house with mud after a big rainstorm. Big challenge. Okay. How did I handle it? Very simply. I first made sure that the owner knew that they had the right guy for the job. So I assured him I would take care of it. And sure enough, we did. Like, you know, we just said, I got it. We'll take care of it. We had it cleaned up and fixed up. One of the more memorable jobs we just did was we built a swimming pool for a client and the guy's like 50 years old. Did not know how to swim. I'm not kidding. I get chills saying, did not know how to swim. And then after we built the pool, he taught himself how to swim. And he actually showed me how he swam across the pool. Wow. So, or like, this is the best thing my, we did for my family. Like, really, like, it's monumental. He's a doctor, so he didn't. And it's very therapeutic. And he goes out there and swims. But he did not know how to swim. That's amazing. Now he knows how to swim. Wow. That's awesome. Cost him a couple of hundred grand for the pool, but he knows how to <laughs> I mean, hopefully for the next 50 years. He, can he said the best thing we ever did. That's a, that's a great client when they said, hey, it was a lot of money, but it's the best thing we ever did for my family. That's all I need to hear, right? 
Yeah, that's awesome. I love that you were able to make that impact on him and his family. So I wonder too, with these challenges and like with some clients that might have a little bit of pushback in the process, are there any misconceptions about the field of landscape design that you've encountered? Yeah. Growing up, I would tell, you know, going to college and like, oh, I'm going to school for landscape designer. Oh, can you come cut my grass? Right. <laughs> I'm kidding. It's like, no, I can't. <laughs> I'm not. What we do, like, oh, I thought you were a landscaper. Yeah, but like, they don't understand. They don't understand. I don't know what to say, but they don't associate landscape design with the outdoor. I've just basically said, hey, you know, when you hire an art, people understand the interior of a house more than the exterior. So I'd say, hey, you wouldn't build a house without an architect's plan. I basically do that for the outside. Oh, I get it. And that, that pretty much sums it up. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Hey, can you cut my grass? Um, yeah, yeah, I'm a landscaper. I cut grass, right? Like, Yeah. I feel like oh. that kind of happens in interior design too. I tell people, oh yeah, I went to school for interior design. I'm like, oh, you got to help me pick out some pillows from home goods. I'm like, no, we're not doing that. <laughs> so it's the same kind of thing. And your business, people know the interior more than the exterior, for sure. Like, yeah, they, yeah. they go outside because they spend more time in the inside. They don't really know the outside. So. Right. There's so many more aspects, so much more technical information that you need to know. But I love how you reshaped the narrative or even like made a similarity to the architect and the architect's plan. Absolutely. Yeah. So in outdoor design, I know sustainability probably comes up very often and is gaining importance in all the many facets of the interior design, architecture, landscape design industry. So how do you integrate environmentally friendly practices and materials into your project? So I think people throw that word around a lot. I don't really know. Like, it's like electric cars and, oh, it's good for the environment. Then you got to plug it in to charge it up. I don't really understand it all. But like, I know like now we use LED lights for outdoors. Instead of using 50 watt bulbs, they use three watts, right? A big thing out in California is they like to use artificial turf because they could save on water. And then I say to myself, yeah, but after the life of the turf, you have to throw it into the landfill. Uh, so I don't really understand really what that is. But like, I'd rather use organic stuff that kind of like you put real grass down and the real grass dies. It dies and goes back to the earth, right? So, you know, I, I like to use, you know, native plants that grow naturally in the area. That seems to help out a lot. And then if you wanted to like put a splash of color somewhere that doesn't need a lot of maintenance, just get a container pot and you put a nice annuals arrangements at the end of the season, you just throw it out. So that's the way we use sustainability products. I mean, you can get much deeper into this, but that's like the high level stuff about what really is the definition of sustainability and what's not. Yeah, I understand that. It can go in so many different directions, but I think the most important thing is that you're using products that are not using up a lot of energy and using plants that are native. And if they die, like you said, they go back into the air. Yeah, just don't overdo it. Like you don't need a hundred lights. You can achieve the same thing with 20 lights and same with watering. Most people set these automatic irrigation systems on and they just water too much. Like, so there's certain things you can do to definitely curve down the appetite of chewing up a lot of energy and wasting stuff for sure. Right. Got it. Well, well noted. And the last thing that I want to touch on before we wrap this thing up. It's really the intersection of business and design in your field. Uh, you've been on Grant Cardone's Power Players, which suggests that your level of expertise goes beyond design. What advice do you have for 
aspiring designers looking to build successful careers and businesses. So we're going to get this straight up from New York. Okay. We're going to just tell like it is whatever you can edit it or not or do whatever. But for 20 of the 40 years, I just, oh, we'll just do a nice project and, you know, we'll get referred and do what you love and the money will follow. That's bullshit. Like the shit don't work. Like it's a freaking business, man. Like I wish somebody would beat this into my head 25 years ago, right? Like it's a business. You need to treat it like a business. You need to have your act together. You need to be organized, focused, and, and you know, demand respect and just treat it like a business. Like you're going to the doctor, you know, they can't have access to you 24 seven. Just treat it like a business. It's not a non for profit. You know how many times I've given jobs away just because, oh, it was a cool job? It's a for profit business. You need to make money. So you can be around in business for 40 years in case something goes wrong, you can go fix it. There's too many guys that run around, take the quick money, and then you don't see them again. You want to be there for the client when like the wall fell down. I was there, take it out of my pocket to fix the wall. So there's a whole other side to the business side of it, not just a creative design. It's the business side of it to make sure you build a good product that's going to last a long time. Yeah, that's so important. Well, Steve, thank you so much for sharing so many insights today on this podcast, everything from your journey, from taking an aptitude test in high school, the 40 years in the industry as a landscape architect and designer, all the way to those nuggets that you just shared about running your business like a business. So if somebody wants to get in contact with you, where can they find you online? Just email, any questions, whatever. Steve at stevegriggsdesign.com, Instagram at stevegriggsdesign. I'm trying to get all that new, you know, Instagram. <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you again, Steve. It was a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you. It was a great pleasure being here. Thanks for joining us this week on Thrive in Design. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Thrive in Design. And for more strategies on how your product company can innovate in the interior design industry, head to training.thriveanddesign.co. As always, subscribe to the show to catch every new episode and leave us a review so we can continue to create captivating content. See you next week.